If you were actually with us last week, uh, Sarah Borns, our pastor of formation, she actually started a sermon series in the kingdom of God. Now, I know that for some of us, that language of the kingdom of God, that might sound very archaic, like this word of kingdom, what does that mean? Well, the, the essential thing is it's a metaphor that's used, actually, that predates when Jesus would come in the flesh. This idea of the kingdom of God was this belief that God was, the, was, was building a kingdom, and this kingdom, really what it comes down to is, who is the king of that kingdom? And so when Jesus basically says, the the kingdom of God is at hand. What he's basically saying is, I am the king who's ushering in this different kind of way of life in the world around us. So for some of us, again, if that language seems archaic or new or different, essentially what it's all about is Jesus is basically saying is there's a new way that God wants us to live by. And this way goes over and against the culture that you and I might be steeped in, the things and the ways that we think about things, the ways that we ponder what is important in life and what we value. So to to give kind of another illustration of what this kingdom of God might look like. And here's basically what Sarah was saying last week. This kingdom of God, what it comes down to is who is the rightful king? And Jesus, of course, being the king that he is, he comes in to show this different kind of way of life. And so today we're actually going to be addressing this question of what is this kingdom like? Because perhaps you're someone, maybe you're someone who's kind of someone who grew up with Christian faith, or maybe you're someone who's completely irreligious, but you came because you heard there's going to be corn dogs today. No matter what, some of you came, somehow you're here, and maybe you're asking this question, what is this kingdom of God like? What is God like? What is this king like? And what is this world that he's trying to usher in through his people? Is it one that's full of judgmentalism and rage and perhaps some of the more popular ways in which people might understand Christians to be, especially nowadays? But what is the kingdom of God like, especially according to the king, especially according to Jesus? Another word that I'd like to, to use to maybe describe the kingdom is this, this word called culture. So for instance, today in a lot of business settings, the word culture is tossed around a lot because it's not only about building a great company that maximizes profits, but it's also about building a great culture. Uh, in fact, Peter Drucker, who's a nonprofit management guru, he's got this phrase that's been tossed around at all of these different consulting meetings, and it's basically this, culture eats strategy for breakfast and lunch and dinner and everything else. And the idea is that it's not only about the ends, but the means are actually important too. That the way a company behaves, the way that an organization kind of lives. So for instance, even this past week with kind of uh, the news that Simone Biles, the decorated Olympian, the, the fact that she was gonna remove herself from competition to show she was basically making a cultural statement. The cultural value that's existed, especially in this country, win at all cost. And she said, hold on, hold on. Maybe it's not win at all costs, but actually, what if there's another cultural value that's also important, and that's the dignity of our mind, body, and soul? What if there's something that's more important than simply earning some sort of gold medal? That was a cultural statement. Now, in today, whether it's athletics or whether it's, it's businesses, this idea of culture is important because it's the culture is, again, the description of what is this organization like? What is the kingdom of God like? And that's the question that I want to ask today. And that's the question that I want to address today. Now here Jesus comes on the scene. He's talking about this kingdom of God that's at hand, but check out what he says the kingdom of God is like. 
This is what he says. And this was what the Beatitudes, which is commonly referred to as Beatitudes, what Jesus says is he says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, isn't this fascinating? Here Jesus is. He's basically presenting kind of the answer to this question. What is the kingdom of God like? If Jesus is the king and he wants to talk about a way of living and moving and thinking uh, in this world, and it's over and against the cultural norms, the values, the propositions that are made by the companies, by the media, by everyone else, what is the culture of the king, kingdom of God like? And here Jesus is answering this question. And he does so with this extraordinary statement of who is blessed. Who is blessed? Who is valued? Who, what are the things that we value in this kind of kingdom? And that's the question that I want to ask today. Now, as I was thinking about popular ways, if I were to rewrite this, not only for popular culture today, but for myself, of a Beatitudes that perhaps I would write for myself and how my prayers are often submitted before God, oftentimes this is actually what my prayers might look like more than the Beatitudes. Here it is. <laughs> This is taken from the book of Drew, sadly. Here it is. Blessed are the athletic. I mean, I use this a lot because, I mean, when we talk about, like, these athletes, like, they're just blessed with God-given talent. I mean, right? Like, you've heard athletes say that? Just been blessed by the good man above, right? Or whatever it might be. We think that people, of course, with that God-given athletic ta- talent, those are the people who are blessed. Or blessed are the beautiful. Didn't earn it. They just happen to be born and be blessed with beauty or health or whatever it might look like. Or blessed are the rich. Just God made a way for them to be rich. They're just blessed. Wow, God has just showered blessing, an acceleration of blessing over your life, right? Like there's a way that we can say these things and make it look cool like that. Uh, Blessed are the smart person. It's just smart, just blessed, God-given talent. No control over it. God just blessed them. Or blessed are the healthy. Right? When we say, oh, you're just so blessed with good health and you're blessed with your, your family being of good health. Or blessed are the people who have kids, but the kids must be all of the above. <laughs> right? If the kids are all of the above, then surely they are blessed and surely the parents are blessed. Or blessed are the people who go on wonderful vacations and post about all of the above on social media. I mean, those people are really blessed, incredibly blessed. Or, blessed are the people to whom nothing bad happens. You're just so blessed. During the pandemic, you made it through. You're just so blessed. You know what's crazy about this list? I mean, it's kind of snickering to some degree. Because we know that popular culture, and even in New York City, this is the way that we use this language. Maybe you don't even use the language of blessing. But when we think about the people who are valued or esteemed, or the people who somehow have been given this favor by God, whether you're someone of faith or whether you're not, we think of this list as the people who are blessed. And you know what's crazy? As a pastor, so as a vocational minister, the reality is, 
even I use language of people who have attained these things as, you guys are just blessed. Oh my goodness, these people, they're truly, really blessed. You know, when I even think about my prayer life as a vocational minister, someone who's, who's preaching about the way of Jesus, how the way of Jesus over and against the ways of this world are so different. Even as someone who's preaching about that, when it comes to my prayer life, my prayer life is that my kids would be all of these things. It's interesting, this word of blessing and how what Jesus comes is he comes and he, he starts saying, let me tell you what this kingdom of God is like. And let me show you how it might be different than the ways of the world that have lasted throughout generations, have talked about blessing and value and what is important. Let me give you a vision of what the kingdom of God is like. And it's not blessed are the rich, <coughs> blessed are the beautiful, blessed are the athletic. It's blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You know, as a king of this new kingdom, he's presenting a culture. And it's so different than the kinds or the ways or the cultural values of the ancient world or of the modern world or the New York City hustle and bustle life that you and I are immersed in right now. There's a way of the kingdom that Jesus is presenting that's so different. Uh, so what is the kingdom of God like? If I were to sum it up, I would often say it's probably health, wealth, and prosperity. That's what the kingdom of God is like. Or that's what people think the kingdom of God is like. Health, wealth, and prosperity. And yet Jesus comes with this statement in the Beatitudes of it's so different than that. You know, there's this book that uh, I read a few years ago. And it's this book called A Good and Perfect Gift. And it was written by this woman named Amy Julia Becker. And Amy Julia Becker, she and her husband were both Ivy League educated. They both went to Princeton they were both uh, people who excelled in every way uh, in their grades. They Basically, they had so much earning potential and social capital as young people and as this new, newly married couple. Like, if you can imagine their trajectory. And what this book is about is actually uh, their first child who was born was uh, unexpectedly, when their child was born, they found out and discovered that their firstborn had Down syndrome. And what I actually really appreciate about this book, it's a book that outlines her own theological reflections as well as her own reflections about that whole process. And she actually talks about her own background because again, on paper and in the world around them, she was someone who had, like, it's up and to the right. Her life, like, she and her husband are the dream couple and here she was and she starts to wrestle with here all of a sudden their firstborn has Down syndrome. They name their daughter Penny and she wrestles with in such an authentic and raw way of like, like all the questions that emerge within her own soul those first few days. 
Are we supposed to celebrate this? Or are we supposed to grieve? What happens to our life now? How is this going to change everything? Now, one of the most amazing things about her, this memoir that she writes, the reason why the book is called A Good and Perfect Gift is because somehow, in what she thought would be one of the most tragic experiences of her life, ends up being this unexpected blessing, an enormous blessing of having this beautiful little daughter named Penny. The reason why the book is called A Good and Perfect Gift is because she reflects on all the lessons that she's learned as a young mom of being fully loved, not based on her own achievements, her own mental acumen, but of just being someone who's fully loved. Of course, she has other reflections on it, but the reason why, as I was thinking about this sermon, I thought about mentioning this book is because, I mean, there are these unexpected things that we think, oh, that's not a blessing. That does not fall into the category of blessing. And yet, you see, when Jesus is teaching on the Beatitudes, he's saying, don't you see all the things, the empty promises that perhaps this world has to offer? Maybe it's not really all that. But here's what I want you to know about the culture of the kingdom, how different it is how meaningful it is. And what Amy Julia and her family would discover is how beautiful true blessing might really be in unexpected ways. Here's a picture of Amy Julia and her family now, and there's Penny on the left, firstborn daughter, who she continues to celebrate her life. What is the kingdom of God like? There's an organization that was actually birthed out of uh, Hope Astoria, which is the original Hope Church that we started in 2012. It's an organization called Do For One. And it's an organization that is based off a quote by Andy Stanley. And that quote is, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. And the basic kind of impetus behind this quote, as well as this organization, is it was found, the founder, his name is Andrew Oliver, who's a worship director at Hope Astoria. And Jane Yoon, who's actually part of our congregation, is a significant leader who you'll see on this video in a moment. And Do For One is this organization that uh, in the system, in most local governments as well as state governments, there's usually aid that's provided for someone with mental or physical disabilities all the way up through maybe college. And then after that, it completely drops off. And so one of the things that he discovered, especially working with physically disabled folks, was what if we could create an organization where we could create just these friendship relationships that were not these top-down, I'm here because I have to serve you, or I'm here because I'm getting paid to serve you, but what if we could create these friendships, these lateral relationships between those who uh, are physically and mentally disabled and those who are not, and to build these friendships together. And, and the real heart behind this organization that was birthed here in New York City is what would it look like? What would it look like to do that? And how could it model the ways of the kingdom? So I'd like for us to actually watch this video right now on Do For One. We were going to a game night that was hosted by Do For One and we met up earlier. We met up at a Starbucks, took the tram over to Roosevelt Island together and on that trip, Alvina asked me a ton of questions, and I think I asked her some questions too, but we just got to know each other. I met Lex. She was a nice lady, and she just told me things about her. I don't know about. Alvina is so good at, at asking 
questions and I feel very loved by that. Just the fact that she wants to get to know me and is this person that's that's always there. She's funny. We, we do dance together. We eat together. She goes to my house. She says my dog cat. The way that she's come into my life and really just become a friend and really integrated into other parts of my life has been really surprising. I will look back on events and be like, wow, that was more fun because Alvina was there. I can trust her. I can trust her in my heart. She's like a best friend I never had. Always sit together like, like brother and sister glue. Comes down to one on one relationships and it comes down to friendship and becoming part of each other's lives. I think that really is how transformation happens. A question that I've always wrestled with is what does the flourishing of people with disabilities look like? How I thought about that for a while is that it looks like a, an actual community, like a place, like an intentional community between people with and without disabilities. You know, people with disabilities can be isolated on their own and then without disabilities don't have that much contact with people with disabilities. We're both sort of suffering in a way from not being together. I think it can really bring change to a community, having one person there that, that is different from them. Where do you start when it comes to helping adults with disabilities? Like, it seems beyond me, but when I see like Alexa and Alvina's friendship, then I get it. It's so simple. It's just becoming friends with somebody. And it doesn't seem like this big, unsolvable issue anymore. It helped me do better of making new friendships and relationships. Friendship is a priceless gift from God. It cannot be bought or sold, but it's far better than gold. There'd be less, less fun and joy and spontaneity in my life without Alvina. That is like a sister to me. We're close. We're like blood. We're like blood. <laughs> what is the kingdom of God like? You know, what's interesting is uh, if you were to actually follow Do For One on their Instagram profile, they constantly post pictures of these different friendship relationships and they have these testimonies from people. And one of the surprising but not so surprising things is that, of course, these people who are paired with people who have physical mental disabilities, they write these testimonies and one of the things that's a common refrain that they use is, I didn't realize how blessed I would be and how I'm really the one benefiting from this friendship more than this other person might be. Isn't it interesting how the kingdom of God works? It's so different, it's so unique. And when Jesus brings this new set of cultural values, he's saying, I'm gonna give you a beautiful taste of what the kingdom of God is like. And that's why it says, what is the kingdom of God like? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. 
Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, uh, when we first started this church in Midtown, I was actually not supposed to be the pastor of this church. <laughs> uh, we had actually started this church first in Astoria in 2012. And when we started the church, one of the reasons why we chose the neighborhood of Astoria is because we were committed for it to be kind of this congregation that was committed to the urban poor as well as that reflected the diverse beauty of New York City. So we started the church uh, in Astoria. And then the second church that we started was in Roosevelt Island where we lived. And on Roosevelt Island, which was basically one of the, uh, the churches that was a significant partner of Do For One when it started. And so it was the most unlikely church start team. It was the president of the Disabled Association on Roosevelt Island, the president of the Senior Association. And when we started this church, again, it was this vision. Uh, I am actually like a Queens guy. Uh, had been working and living in Queens for a long time. And so Queens is kind of in my blood, although I've switched from the Mets to the Yankees. Um, so, but this year I'm with the Mets because they're close to the playoffs. But anyhow, um, but, so I'm like a Queens guy. I mean, that's just in my blood. And so kind of what happened was there was a, uh, a pastor that was supposed to come to the city and start the church in Manhattan. But there was this collective discernment uh, of our pastors that said, Drew, we really think that you should be the one to lead this church in Manhattan. Now, again, you got to understand for me, I'm like all, I'm like Queens. Like Queens is where the best food is. It's cheaper as well. And uh, I, that kind of, there you go. That reflects my cultural values right there, right? <laughs> and so I'm like a Queens guy. I'm not going to start this church in Midtown Manhattan of all places. Uh, but yet this was the collective discernment of our leadership team there. And so I stepped into this role of starting a church in Midtown Manhattan, and I'll never forget, someone actually came to me and was being somewhat facetious, but actually was being pretty serious. And he actually said to me, he said, hey, Drew, uh, now that you're going to be a pastor in Manhattan, I think, I think you should start dressing better. <laughs> no shade. I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> you know, like, but I remember when he said that, and he, what he was basically implying was like, hey, you, you, you kind of, you know, the, Manhattan's like this culturally influential place. It's like this place where it's full of wealth and prestige and like, you need to up your game, man, you know? And I remember just thinking about that, uh, that phrase, I think you need to start dressing better. And it's amazing how even people of faith, even myself, can get caught up in kind of this story of what is important and what is valuable and what is meaningful in our city. The way we dress, the way we appear. That as a pastor, that of course, the, the way to, to be significant or to be influential is to look a certain way or to have some sort of blessing. But what if the kingdom of God is different? What if the ways of the kingdom 
go against all those cultural values that you and I, I mean, let's face it, in a city like this, we are inundated with messages of what is important, of what is meaningful. And here Jesus comes on the scene. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. You know, there was this movement down in the South at one point to have the Ten Commandments posted in the different courts. And I remember reading about that and hearing from a friend. He said, you know, maybe it's not the Ten Commandments that should be posted alone in court halls of the United States. I think it would be more meaningful if the Beatitudes were posted in the court halls of the United States. Where clearly it would say, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. I mean, isn't Jesus so different? You see, what makes the kingdom of God so unique is not that we dress a certain way, that our music is a certain way, that we kind of have this cultural value that we bring and a value in these transactional relationships that so mark our city. But what if there was a power that was found in the ways of the kingdom, not because of us and the value that we brought, but what if that value was found in who our king was? And what if this king that we had somehow become smitten by had shown us a different way of living in the world, of valuing a different thing? You know what's so interesting about the story of God throughout scripture? Is that actually, even when the people of Israel would be going through such tremendous challenge of exile and captivity, these prophetic words would come about who would be the person to deliver the people of Israel and usher in this new kingdom. And this prophet named Isaiah would actually give this teaching about who this king would be. But check out how different this king is. Look in Isaiah chapter 53. This is what it says. Who has believed our message, the prophet writes, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. This is a prophetic word given about Jesus. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hid their faces or hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his athleticism and riches and beauty and power and social media following, our wounds have been healed. No. By his wounds. By his wounds we've been healed. Who is our king? Our king was never someone who would come with power over, but with love under on his knees, washing feet, talking about a new kind of kingdom. A kingdom where the greatest king of all would actually lay down his own life. 
to show you and me just what this kingdom is like. You know, it's exhausting living by the cultural code of the world and by the city that we live in, isn't it? What could dare free us from that? What if there was another truer, more beautiful kingdom that was offered to you and me? And it was offered by a man of sorrows who would give his life so that you and I could be free. Free from the trappings of all those things, the ambitions, the, the longing for comfort and control, all these things that tend to continue to vie for our allegiances. What if, what if this king could show us a different way? What if he could free us from a life that perhaps we've truly wanted, a life where we could live freely. Now, this is not to say that ambition and all those things are wrong, but how many of us are still captive to those things? And today, what if today is a day where you might be invited to give your allegiance to a new king, to a man of sorrows, who would give his life for you and for me? Uh, Justice Tams, who's our worship director, he performed this song on video, and uh, I just thought we could take some silence just to watch this video to reflect on these words. So let's watch this video together.
Now the curse. 